Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget the free TuneIn app. We're there, too. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dog on a Chicago landmark business since 1893. There is nothing like a Vienna hot dog or one of their Polish sausages, and their products are available coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and through Amazon. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, Chicago's top purveyor of fine meats, poultry, fish, fresh frozen prepared foods, wine, beer, and now serving fresh sandwiches. They've been a staple in the city since 1949. This week, we feature the irresistible Wani, Dave Wanstead. We want the people, when your show's over, that they say, I would love to watch a game and sit down and have a beer with Dave Wanstead. So that's kind of the approach that I take. You know, when, when, when I'm done doing a radio show or a TV show, you know, that's my thought process, that I reach that that real excited football, you know, fan crazy audience. And that I come across as a guy, you know, well, he, he would be he'd be great. He'd be a lot of fun to, to have here and, and having a couple beers and watching the game. He's been involved in football since high school, but his prominence in Chicago began in 1993 when he replaced the legendary Mike Ditka's head coach. It was a rather rocky six seasons, but Wani endured, next coaching the Miami Dolphins and the University of Pittsburgh, among several jobs he held. But he's reinvented himself as a commentator, and his personality seems to be a perfect fit. And when it comes to storytelling, there may be none better. So, Dave Wanstead, tell me a story I don't know. Oh, wow. George, I'll tell you, I... Uh... I've, I've got a lot of them, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, probably, I'm sure you do. <laughs> pro- yeah, pro- pro- probably one was before our, our playoff game there uh, when we went up and played Minnesota and actually won that game on the road. I think it was my second year. I got sick the day before, and I mean sick to the point where we were getting on an airplane and heading to Minnesota the next morning and – Fred Cato, our trainer at the time, and all of our doctors came over to my house, and I was on IVs. They hooked me up right in the bedroom to a bunch of IVs. 
And uh, I had IVs dripping into me all night long. And they gave me some pills. I had a fever. And uh, the next morning, I mean, it was a miracle. I went up there and uh, it, you know, wasn't 100%, but felt a lot better. And by the time we got the kickoff in the game, you would have never known. So it, uh, and again, to you? We, well, when you win, you know, it, it cures everything. You know, we <laughs> yeah. say winning, what's the old coaching expression? Winning's a great deodorant. It, you can, it covers a lot of things. And, and it, it must have covered my flu symptoms because I, I truly, it, it was, and I look back on it, God, maybe it was anxiety that brought it all on, you know, and nerves. I don't know. But, uh, but boy, our doctors and trainers came through. And, uh, yeah, they, they were concerned if I was going to be able to get on a team plane or not the night before. And oh. uh, it was it was miraculous. Yeah. And one day and I was ready to go. I want to kind of follow up because you have an uncanny ability to tell a story. And I know this well, having covered the Bears in training camp when you were the head coach. You, you just regaled us with story after story about the Dallas Cowboys. More often than not, your good friends, Jimmy Johnson and Tony Wise. So tell me a story I don't know. When you developed this rather innate and entertaining ability to tell a story. Jerry Jones, he says, guess what's going to happen this weekend? I said, what? He said, he's going to buy the Dallas Cowboys. I said, what? <laughs> he said, you want to hear something crazier? <laughs> I said, what? He says, I'm going to be the head coach. <laughs> There's Heineken's stacked across the thing, okay? He said, you want to hear something crazier? I said, what? He says, you're the defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I just... Well, I don't know. I, I, because when I was coaching, uh, I was the guy that when talk radio started in, what, 93 I, or 92 maybe, well, my my opinion at that time about talk radio and the media uh, somebody asked me at a press conference my first year what did I think about the talk radio and my comment was anybody that would call in and listen to that stuff are the same people that think that studio wrestling is for real <laughs> and, 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 and now here I am do, here I am doing two, two, radio, two score radio shows a week during drive time and obviously a lot of stuff with NBC Sports and I'm doing Zooms and, and, and on and on. So uh, I, I don't know. I think, you know what, in, in all honesty, because this, people have asked me this before, and, and I think when I made up my mind that I wasn't going to coach again, when I made up my mind and said, okay, I am not going to coach, so I don't have to be guarded about what I say uh, about, uh, a, a coach's decision or what I say about a, how a player played or, or what a general manager did in a trade or an owner, or how they're running their organizations. Whenever I kind of made up my mind, you know what, I'm going to do the media stuff and, and I'm not going to be, you know, my nature, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to treat everybody fairly and try and treat them good. But I said, I'm going to be real honest about this stuff. And I, I think that kind of opened up a whole different chapter uh, to my personality, be, you know, because I, I wasn't thinking, oh, if I say this, boy, next week, uh, is this coach, uh, you know, you know, am I still going to be in the job market? Is a uh, owner going to be reading what I say about, you know, that type of stuff. So 
I, I got to say that whenever I made up my mind not to coach anymore is when the whole media, radio, TV thing, the storytelling to another level all became a lot more fun. I'll tell you that. That was then. Back in the mm-hmm. 90s, when, you know, you took us aside and started telling these stories, I mean, this, right. was, a, this was a side of Dave Wonstadt we, we didn't see. Well, and it was, it was unbelievable. I'm just thinking, were you like this as a kid growing up? Well, yeah, I guess so. I, I think I can re- relate to people coming from Pittsburgh. You know, I mean, that's one thing about, as you know, from about Pittsburgh people, we can talk and we can, we, and, and uh, the whole thing about Pittsburgh people, and they say what really separates them, you know, a true, true Pittsburgher when he can walk on both sides of the tracks. And I always remembered that. Someone told me that when I was young. In other words, you can be on one side of the tracks where the top executives are and the CEOs of, of whoever and, and that style. And then you got to go to the other side of the tracks and, and talk to the steel workers. And my dad was a steel worker. So, you know, I, I think having that ability and growing up with that type of mentality, uh, yeah, the stories. And then, and then, Hey, I gotta be honest with you. I was very fortunate. I mean, Rose bowls and national championships at Miami, uh, national championships at Pittsburgh, super bowls, you know, the worst team in the NFL at the Dallas Cowboys back in the eighties to four years later, a Super Bowl team with the youngest team in the NFL. I mean, there's a lot of ground that I've covered where there's a lot of stories. Dan Rooney, you know, who was interviewing me, he said, stop right there. He says, let me tell you a little story about America's team. He said, in 1976, us Steelers, we beat the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl X. And my dad, the chief, as they called him, Pete Rosell was the commissioner. He calls up my dad and says, we're making our highlight tape. We want to name the Steelers America's team. That wants, that's going to be our caption. He says, the chief, he always had a cigar. He said he took a puff of that cigar and he said, Pete, let me tell you something. We are not America's team. We are the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> oh. Tech Tram took that from Dallas and ran with it ever since. And, uh, you know, I... I my mind, I might not remember what I had for breakfast, but I can remember those stories 30 years ago. But not many people, and you know this, not many people are gifted with the ability to tell them you can. Yeah, well, yeah, I I don't know. You know, that's, uh, yes, I've never thought of it much that way. (laughs) I I just kind of, I just kind of talk, you know, and, uh, but, 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 but Tony Wise, you mentioned Jimmy Johnson. Tony Wise is down here in Naples right now. He flew down from Pittsburgh, and we still talk at least once a week. Uh, so that relationship is still there, but it was very unique. Most people don't realize that Jimmy Johnson and I, we were assistant coaches together back in the 70s at the University of Pittsburgh. And that's how we met. And and kind of a funny story back then, we're going back, this is 1978, and Jimmy Johnson and I, we just kind of clicked, you know, we started playing racquetball together and our wives were getting along and, you know, it was just two assistant coaches at the time at, at the University of Pittsburgh. And don't you know, he comes into me and, and we go out and have a beer one night after, and he says, hey, I'm going to get this Oklahoma State job. And he said, uh, boy, I'd love for you to come down there with me. And I was a pit guy. And and God, we were winning. I mean, we had just signed Dan Marino, and we were winning ten games a year with you, Green, and Ricky Jackson, and 
and we had Jimbo Covert. I mean, we had Bill Fralick. We had a lot of great players at that time. And I said, geez, I don't know. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to name a defensive coordinator. If you come down there, he says, I'm just going to see, give everybody an equal opportunity to work. And, and there's going to be a real chance here. So I, I leave Pittsburgh and go to Oklahoma State. And we show up at Stillwater, Oklahoma. And the one thing that Jimmy forgot to tell me was that at that time, I think you could have a hundred guys or 90 guys on scholarship in college. Now it's, I think 80. And we were coming off Oklahoma state was coming off probation. So we had like 30 scholarship players and we had no chance. I mean, we, we, it was, uh, you talk about a total rebuild, but uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, and and boy, I grew grew as a coach. And and I just with and at 26, 27 years old, I was defense coordinator at Oklahoma State. So I, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate to be around good people, and I tried to take advantage of that. And and again, you know, had opportunities to to move up the uh, the ranks in a hurry. Are you surprised, Coach, that your personality has opened doors to Fox Sports and other TV appearances along with the weekly gig at WSCR, The Score? Yes and no. I mean, my personality today, no, I'm not surprised. I think, as I just told you about the Pittsburgh thing, I mentioned that to, to our listeners. I mean, I, I could do that recruiting. You know, I mean, I could go into a, a player's home that dad was uh, – a president of a company and, and he had the biggest house on the block in, in, a, in one of those areas. And, and then I would leave that house and I had no problem going to the other side of town and going into a, a tough, tough neighborhood where I had to, had to make sure that the recruit had somebody watching my car. So it would be there when I came out <laughs> and, uh, and, and going in there and, and sit, sitting down with the mother and the dad and, and whoever else was there and, and being just as comfortable and, and talking to those people and relate to them. So I, I think, I think media is a, a, a people business. And uh, I, I think you have to obviously have good experiences, which I'm fortunate to have. And then you've got to be able to relate those things. But uh, yeah, the Fox thing, I, because when I quit, when I was done coaching my agent, Brian Harlan in Chicago, Brian called up ESPN. They didn't, they didn't have any openings. They didn't whatever, or interest. I don't know. CBS was the same way. And at that time, we hadn't called Fox, but we called the Big Ten Network in Chicago. And the Big and Fox owns the Big Ten Network in Chicago. So Brian had a lot of clients working down there. So they said, yeah, come on down. We'll give him an audition. So that was my first time that I ever auditioned for anything media-wise. And so I went down there and uh, went through went through it. And next thing you know, I'm getting a call from Fox in L.A. about coming out for an interview. So what had happened was the Big Ten, uh, obviously, their people were talking to the Fox people, same same parent company. And uh, they mentioned something about it. So they brought me out. And, and uh, you know, I was actually doing college football. I didn't do NFL. I was doing college football for Fox for like the first three years it was me matt leinert robert smith from ohio state and rob stone we were doing college football fox was trying to get going with college football at a higher level 
And then Brian Erlacher, former Bear, he was actually doing an NFL show on FS1. And halfway through the season, I forget what year this was, they he decided, and they decided, I don't know how it happened, but that it wasn't working out. So he steps away. So the, the, the VP for Fox that handles these NFL shows came up to me one Saturday and said, hey, how would you like to stay over and do an NFL show tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'm here. Absolutely. What time? Where do I got to be? So I did the NFL show and then one thing led to another and they, you know, I had to make it kind of make a decision. They had to make a decision. So I just filtered in I'm, everything I do in Chicago is NFL, you know, not much college as we know is with the bears. So it really worked out good that I was able to do a lot of NFL stuff. You know, it's funny as I talk to you now, when you do this stuff, when you do it on the score, when you do it on Fox, wherever you do it, it seems like a light goes on and you're in some different world. It's it's a football world, but it's a media world and you love it. Certainly they're going to be in most games. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you brought up a, book, a good point. When my daughters went to Indiana and I remember I was down there watching a, a basketball practice with Bobby Knight and we went in there, we were talking and he had a sign, and you know he was all about defense. And I made up this sign, kind of put it together, a little bit of him, a little bit of Pat Riley, you know who? Sure. And uh, you guys know who Pat Riley is? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and he, and he, <laughs> I'm just checking. I'm, I'm making yeah. sure that you're uh, awake and with yeah. me, okay? And, and, uh, and yeah, I have fun with it, and and you know, and I, um, you know, when I took the job at Fox, they told me two things. They said, here, here's what we want. They said the. Um, the, the 10% of the people that are like sports, football, expert, 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 those, yeah. We, do we want those as fans? Sure, we do. Uh, and then there's the 10% that are only listening and watching because their boyfriend, their spouse, whatever is watching. So they don't really have an interest, but they're following along. So, so, so it's, uh, they say those people, yeah, we like it. They watch. But they said, where we make a living and the people that you got to reach are those 80% in the middle. And think of it in terms of this. We want factual information and we want to have fun with it. We want the people when your show's over that they say, I would love to watch a game and sit down and have a beer with Dave Wanstead. So that's kind of the approach that I take. You know, when, when, when I'm done doing a radio show or a TV show, you know, that's my thought process, that I reach that that real excited football, you know, fan crazy audience. And that I come across as a guy, you know, well, he, he would be he'd be great. He'd be a lot of fun to to have here and, and having a couple beers and watching the game. So that's kind of the, the, the approach that I take doing it. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Vienna Beef, Chicago's hot dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt, and oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. 
and look for the new spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballpark, socks and cubs, stadiums, museums, and the zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and Amazon. And remember, Vienna's not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the free TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Dave Wanstead on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. So, of course, I would be totally remiss if I didn't ask you to tell me some of your favorite stories, but please tell me a story I don't know about your agent, Brian Harlan, who I know well, he was the PR director of the Bears, that he didn't know you were going to be named the head coach of the Bears in 1993 until the day you were officially hired. Yeah, that's, uh, I didn't find that out, I think, until the day that him and I shook hands. And he kind of looked at me with a look that, oh, good to see you. Glad you're here. You know, uh, <laughs> excuse me for 10 minutes while I go in my office and Google your your history. And so I can talk, give you something to talk about at the press conference. But it goes better than that. Uh, I, how about so I take the job now. They changed the rule. The NFL changed the rule because I accepted and came out and accepted the Bears job when I was still the assistant head coach of the Dallas Cowboys and defense coordinator. And it was during the bye week. So, in other words, we beat San Francisco to uh, to go to the champions, to go to the Super Bowl. And then the next day or two, I fly to Chicago. And it was two weeks before the game. So I fly out to Chicago and do my press conference. I accept the job the Monday after we beat the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl. I accept the job that Monday. And I fly out like the next day or two with my wife to do the press conference. And then I'm going to come back. And now I got to get ready to try to beat the Buffalo Bills and win this Super Bowl. So as as my wife and I fly out and and all I really got from Mike McCaskey, who was the president at the time, God bless his soul. And um, and his secretary was this is where you're staying. The driver will take you up to the uh, deer path Inn, right there in, in Lake Forest. And you're to check in under the name George Trafton. Now, I'm thinking to myself. George Trafton. Okay. So, uh, so I look him up and he's a great bears player. The first center that ever played for the bears in, in the twenties first center. They, that has a reputation of every snapping the ball with one hand, I guess is what he's known for. Mm. Great player, hall of fame player. So, okay. So I got this piece of paper with George Trafton. So I'm saying, 
to my wife, wow, this is really secrecy here. Now, Mike, I don't see Mike McCaskey. He's going to see me the next day. No, he's no, no, he's good. Yeah, I think he's going to see me the next day. We're going to go out to dinner or something. But this is like check into the hotel, go to your room, check in under a false name, and someone will pick you up in the morning. And here we go. I said, oh, I'm going to go along with it. Okay. Well, my wife and I get out of the car. I don't even get to the front door of the Deer Path Inn. And the doorman opens the door and he says, Coach, welcome to Chicago. <laughs> So I, I, I walk in the lobby and the guy right there says, can I take your bag coach? And I, so I look at my wife again. Now I, I got to go up to the front desk and tell this poor girl that I'm George Trafton. And I think, you know, and she looks at me and, and they're all standing there looking. So I sign in under George trap. And I said to my wife, "Ah, this is ridiculous. These guys are going to take the, I need a drink. These guys are going to take the, take, take the bags up to the room. And I turned to the guy says, you have a a little lounge area, a restaurant. I want to get something to eat and have a beer. And he says, yes, downstairs. So my wife and I, we go downstairs and we sit down and we order something to eat. The two of us in a booth. I remember it like yesterday. And, uh, you know, sure enough, the, 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 you know, the bartender, the waiter comes up, Hey coach, welcome to Chicago. I mean, there was no secret. Everybody in the hotel knew who we were and what we were doing. And um, I think my picture was in the front page of the paper. You know, in fact, somebody sent me a a copy of the Chicago Tribune and it said, he's the guy. And I was standing there on the sidelines of the Super Bowl in Dallas Cowboy gear. So yes, they knew. Heck yeah. Who didn't? He's, he's the, he's the guy. He's George Trafton. There you go. Yes. And then, oh, wow. It was a classic. I signed in under George Trafton. So I, I followed company line. So when Brian Harlan meets me and he doesn't even know that I'm in time and I'm the next head coach, did it surprise me? No. Now hearing the story that, that, you know, everything that was going on, it, it didn't surprise me. I, I just kind of got a chuckle out of it. Oh, wow. It was a classic. You were named head coach of the bears in early 1993. So you had to replace a legendary figure in Mike Ditka. So tell me a story I don't know, Coach, what that was like and whether it was any easier since Ditka's teams had fallen out of hard times and he had taken a lot of heat. Scripture tells you that all things shall pass. This too shall pass. I land on my feet. There's no problem about that. I don't worry about that. I worry about how this organization is perceived. I believe it will go forward. It will try to do the things necessary to make the adjustments to get through the 90s the way it should. I would hope that. Well, two two things come to mind. Number one, Mike Ditka's dad worked in the same steel mill my dad did in Pittsburgh, but on the other side, he was on the other side of the river, on the other side of the hill. So Mike was the guy growing up in Pittsburgh. Mike went to Pitt. I went to Pitt. So Mike was the big guy in, in the neighborhood in Western PA growing up. And, and I always looked up to Mike and I actually went back and played in Mike's golf tournament when he was coaching the bears. So I had a relationship with Mike, uh, before I took this job. And when I took the job, Mike called me and he says, meet me at, uh, the Nightingale restaurant. We met at the Nightingale restaurant down there in the highwood. And he says, bring a, 
media guide with you. And Mike Ditka and I sat at the bar in the Nightingale and having a few wines. And Mike went through every page of the Bears media guide and starting from page one, you know, and it went from owner to the guy, groundskeeper guy or someone like that that was was doing work or equipment guys, whoever. And we went, he went through every page and he either put a check or he put a big X through him. And he says, I, I want you to know who you, who are the good people and who you can trust and who works hard and on and on and on. And so it, it was a fun night, a great night. And we talked about everything. And uh, I ended up keeping Danny Obramowitz, Dave McGinnis. I kept, you know, two or three, four of his coaches did a great job for me. And, uh, and then I went to Mike McCaskey and I said, Mike, now where are we going to have, you know, it, it's, it, we're going to have the draft coming up here pretty quick and we're going to have many camps after that, but I, I got to know who can play and who can't, we don't want to draft a guy. And all of a sudden we get a mini camp and I'm thinking to myself, what do we draft him for? We got three of those guys. So he, he, and I'm looking out my window and there's snow and there's ice, you know, it's, it's February or whatever it was in Chicago and uh, I said, Mike, we need to go someplace where we can practice and go away. where We can get outside and I can evaluate the team. So we went to Mesa, Arizona, my first year. And I remember going into my first team meeting with the Chicago Bears. It was in Mesa, Arizona. Everybody met out there. And I looked at the roster and I believe the number was 14. I think there were 14 players on that team that had played in the 85-86 Super Bowl. And this was 93 now, and those guys weren't young then, so they were all all 10-plus. I mean, it was the Ron Rivera's of the world and the William Perry's and Keith Van Horns and, and on and on and on. Everybody knows that the Chicago Bears are huge underdogs in this game, but in talking with Coach Dave Wanstead and his team, they appear confident and they have a plan for this game. Yeah, and boy, do I love the plan. You know he said? We're going to shake our fist in the big boy's face and bloody their nose. And, and so my thought was, okay, now, you know, we, we've got to figure out, I'm going to give every one of these players the benefit of the doubt because I respect so much what they did. But in the same turn, we got to make sure that, you know, that we don't become a, an old or team than this and we can't, and then we're going to be stuck because they were an old team. And I see how that happened. The same thing happened at the Dallas Cowboys. When we went down there in 89, you know, they had won some Super Bowls, just like the Bears and Coach Landry. You know, you get sentimental and you get close to your players. And there was the Randy Whites of the world and, and players like that, too tall, Jones. That, that were still on the team that really were, were their careers were over. So, you know, that was a tough thing. You know, now we had to start weeding players out. And, and I probably could have released, told more guys than I did that, uh, that it was over for them. But we kept a couple guys around and, and gave them the benefit of the doubt. And they respected that, I think. And, uh, but, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because we had a, an older veteran team and, and we needed youth and we needed young players. Well, you went to the playoffs that one season. So out of the six, so what went wrong? Well, uh, 
If they would have had the extended playoffs like they had this year, I think I would go down two more times. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. But y- you know what? We could never get the quarterback thing right. My six years at the Bears, I had six different starting quarterbacks. And in the NFL, you can't win that way. I mean, we, we ran the ball as good as anybody. We had receivers that could make some plays. Uh, you know, we had, but the quarterback position and it was really injury. I mean, Jim Harbaugh was our quarterback the first year and he had some contract things and there was other things going on there. Then we signed Eric Kramer and the next year when we went to the playoff, Eric Kramer set 16 bear passing records and it was Jeff Graham and Curtis Conway. And we had a nice group there. We were running the ball with Raymond Harris and, and uh, I think we drafted Rashawn Salam that year, maybe, or the next year. Our defense was solid. wasn't dominant, but it was solid. And, um, and then, don't you know, the next year, in every coach, and for the listeners, when you look around, you know, whether it's high school, college, NFL, every coach has a window where you have to hit it big or the fans are going to turn on you, the media is going to turn on you. And my window of hitting it big was really that fourth year because we went nine and seven the third year and uh, didn't get into the playoffs at nine and seven. And then my fourth year was my – that was the window to hit it big. And and for every coach, I'll I'll back up a little bit. I mean, that went – in some instances, that window's – one year in some instances it's 10 years you know so it, it depends on the job as far as what the time frame is but you got to hit a big within that time frame and the fourth year was really the year we had spent we i got the McCas- mr mccaskey or uh mike mccaskey and and in virginia they spent some money we signed a few free agents and we opened up the nfl season that year on Monday night football in Soldier Field against the Super Bowl defending champs, Dallas Cowboys. And it was Troy, it was Emmett, it was Dion, it was Michael, it was the whole crew. And we beat them. Trick play, Curtis Conway representing to Raymond Harris for a touchdown, 33 yards. You know, Raymond's first nickname is Ultraback. That made it Bears 7-3. Third quarter, Cowboys come unglued. Emmett Smith cannot handle the Troy Aikman pitch. Brian Cox recovers. Cox sixth fumble recovery of his career. Kramer to Raymond. A big 22-yard gain. Raymond three receptions over 100 yards. That set up a field goal. Bears up 13-3. And we beat him. And that was, you talk about momentum. And I think it was the next week or the week after Eric Kramer breaks his neck. And he's out for the year. And Dave Craig, who we had just signed, you know, Dave, Dave, got, oh, he did a great job. He was a great player for a lot of years. He was older than I was. We signed him and we go seven and nine. And, and then we lose free agent players. And here and the media turns and the fans turn. And they, they forgot about that Eric Kramer walking around with a neck brace real quick. And that was really the beginning of the end for me, you know. So it really comes down to, you know, when that window of opportunity is there, you got to hit it. You got to hit it big. And 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 this game, there's a lot of things. The stars got to be aligned right. I mean, I went to the Super Bowl and 
And uh, I had, you know, national championships, undefeated seasons at Pittsburgh, undefeated seasons at the University of Miami. I mean, I, I averaged 10 wins a year at the Dolphins. We went 11 and five, won the division, 11 and five, went, you know. So, I mean, I, I, so I know how it works. And you got to have things fall right. And that was the year that I really felt and believed, and our players did, and our fans did, that we were going to get up over the top. And then, you know, the unfortunate thing happens to Eric, and, and we don't have a backup, again, a quarterback, a backup that could come in and, and take the reins and go. And as a result, uh, that was it. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by the Polina Market. And if you haven't been there, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meat since 1949, and it's only getting bigger and better. From the popular Wagyu steaks to their porterhouse and tomahawk selections, Polina leads the way, and you might just spend hours there perusing the frozen food section. Everything made fresh, including chicken pot pies, pulled pork, and a variety of meatloaves. You like brats? I love them, including their pork variety, which is so juicy and tasty on the grill. And now the Polina Market has seafood and sandwiches from the deli and wine and beer to match anything you buy. Plus, they expanded again, making the in-store experience even better, but you can still order online to pick up. Take my word for it, the Polina Market is as good as it gets and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. Mention you found them through this podcast. The Bears are still owned, as you well know, by the McCaskey family. And today, your job is to talk about them. So have things really changed at Hallis Hall since you were last coaching them in 1998? Oh, yeah. I, and I would never, and I never have, and I never would say a negative word about any of the McCaskies. I mean, those people treated me and my wife and my family first class all the time but the difference is now they're spending money you know and back those days you know it, they didn't have the marketing stuff and the tv and and nothing was was i guess making money i don't know like it is now and and things were tough i mean you you had to watch whether it was coaches salaries or whether it was players i mean ron rivera i cut him he was on that you know one of those super bowl players and and we went through mini camp and I called him and I said, hey, Ron, you know, you just can't run anymore. And, and we got to, we got to make it, we're going to move forward. So we did. And he was great about it. So he got into the media a little bit in Chicago. And after about two years, maybe three years, he came to me and says, coach, can I have a meeting? I said, yeah. He said, you know, I'd really like to give this coaching a try. So I went up and uh, I talked to Mike McCaskey and Mike pulled my contract out. And I said, now, Ron is an ex-bear, Super Bowl. He doesn't want paid, Mike. We're just going to have to give him a locker with some clothes and put, give him a seat on the plane. And he's going to learn. He's going to be a heck of a young coach. And Mike pulled my contract out and says, nope, we agreed to pay only this amount of coaches. I think now it's, it's laughable how many staffs have now. Because I think we had 10 coaches. 
We can only agree to pay 10 guys, and that's where it's at. So I went down and told Ron, went back up and gave him a different angle and talked him into it. But there was no salary with Ron. And Ron was like assistant linebacker coach for me. And then a year later, I think, when we all left is when he got on to Philadelphia and the rest is history. But my point is that that's how tight things were back then. And, and that has drastically changed, drastically changed. You've been here long enough now, and you know that words and phrases have been made famous, and they've been made famous in every town. And here we've heard phrases from the likes of, of course, Mike Ditka, Lee Elia, Ozzie Gian, and yourself, because you once uttered this phrase before the 1996 season, all the pieces are in place. It's endured, Coach. So tell me a story I don't know. What, what that was in reference to, and did you ever think that those words would still be uttered today as often as they are? No, but I believed it, and, and, and I would have I'd say it again. To, that must, that might have been the year that we, we beat the Cowboys. Maybe that was the year that I felt like the window is now, you know, and I just really believed it. And I was talking that to our players, our players were believing and our assistant coaches. And I wanted our fans to, to get excited and, and believe it also. So I think that's why I said it. Uh, got it. You know, I, I said a lot of things and I'm glad that that's the one thing that, uh, <laughs> that, 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 that they requote because uh, <laughs> I, I, I've had my share. I was, I was at times a little, little over enthusiastic on the sidelines with officials and players, but uh, no, I, I believe that, you know, and, and, and there was a reason why I, I said it. And that was my thinking. So after you leave the bears, you landed in Miami, you had a pretty good success there. You mentioned that and back home to Pennsylvania, yeah, we were... you coached the, the Pittsburgh Panthers. Let, let's face it, coach, you bleed football. Yes, I do. And, and the dolphins, and I'm, I'm saying it's not floating, but, my four years at the Dolphins, we, there was, we were the third winningest team in the NFL. Only the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles won more games than we did. So we had a great run there. And then when I went to Pittsburgh, we got that turned around. You know, I mean, I, Darrell Revis, LaShawn McCoy, Deion Lewis. Uh, my last recruiting class was Aaron Donald, played for me as a freshman. So, and we, Pitt hadn't won 10 games since Dan Marino was there. We won 10 and we won nine and done that in 25 years. So we, you know, we had a good group of guys and we turned it around and enjoyed doing it. And I think that, um, you know, that people ask, oh, is it in your blood? Well, it's, it's in my blood if I can be around people that I want to be with and, and, and do it the way that, that we want to do it. And, uh, you know, to, to take a coaching job and to, and to do something like that with people that don't believe in doing it the way that we've done it and had success uh, or coaches that I don't enjoy having a beer with, I, I, I never got myself into that situation. I was very fortunate and very selective to always be around my people doing it my way. And uh, that's, that's what kept me going. That's what energized me every day to, to love the game and to be, and, and to want to be with the players and, and try to make a difference in their lives. 
Tell me one of your favorite stories, one that you like to tell often. Maybe one from here while you were with the Bears that you, you, you tend to think of more often than not. We went to Ireland and played the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this was a non-sanctioned NFL game. In other words, it was an extra preseason game. We had the four preseasons. So this was the fifth game. But it wasn't like playing in the Hall of Fame game, you know, where it was a sanctioned, you know, extra game in the league. This was something that McCaskies and the Roonies got together and just did on their own, basically. And today, America's favorite sport begins anew by traveling to a country as beautiful as the sport itself. Yes, indeed. Football's new season starts in Ireland. And and I can remember uh, thinking, what are we doing? And everything was was put uh, in the category of high budget, but get the job done. You know, I mean, we, we were on, I think we flew over on the same airlines that they use in the movie Airplane. You know, that's not even on the market anymore. I mean, it was, it might, might have been their, this airline's last flight was us. Uh, and, and we got over there, we kind of shared fields with the Steelers, and it all worked out. I mean, in the end, and, and we, and initially it was going to be no players' wives, I think. And the players from our team and the Steelers got together. And basically went to the owners. I mean, it was over my head. And, and the owners agreed that they could all take a wife, their wife with them or significant other. So that kind of made the whole trip. And uh, it, uh, it, it, in some ways, it was a hilarious ex- experience. Uh, in other way, and we, we actually went to the embassy. And uh, so, so there were some very nice things about it. But it, 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 it was different. It was different. You grew up in Baldwin, Pennsylvania, which is part of the Pittsburgh metro area. Tell me a story I don't know, Dave. What it was like growing up there because you got into football at a pretty early age. Well, it, you had to. And I remember sitting in a booth at Mike Ditka's restaurant here in Naples when I was coaching the Dolphins. I had played, he asked me to play in a charity golf tournament with him. And it was me. Marty Schottenheimer and Joe Namath and Mike. And the four of us are all within 30 minutes of each other in Pittsburgh and while Western PA guys. And, and we were talking about that it was either steel mills or college. And the way to go to college was to play sports and primarily football, Western PA. So that was really our motivation. And that's what got us going. And, you know, my dad worked in the steel mills. I mentioned that in the beginning, but, I, but I, before I went to school every morning and we were six miles from the city is where the Baldwin was, is. And my job every morning was to go out and wipe the soot off his windshield. And, and, and that's how, and these, the steel mills, people don't realize they were working 24 hours a day, three shifts a day. And then when I got in college, a little funny story here, I'm playing at Pitt back in the 70s, 
And my dad gets me a summer job working in the mills. So we only had one car with the family. So I would have to either hitchhike or ride in with them to the mills. So we were riding together and they stuck the college kids on the night shift. So I would work 11 at night till seven in the morning in the mills. And so my dad would try to get on the same ship with me so he could drive me. Well, work is over at seven in the morning. And I walk out with my dad and he says, come on, we're going to stop. We're going to go over to Yarsky's and have one before we go home. Yarsky's was a bar across the street from the steel mills on the south side there in Pittsburgh. And so we walk in and Yarsky's bar is probably five deep with all the steel mills guys coming out. And uh, my dad says, you know, wait here. So I'm standing in the bar, this, in the back of this bar that's packed. And my dad gets up to the bar and, you know, has his shot and beer. It's to him, it's five o'clock at night. You know, there's maybe might've been two shots and two beers and I'm standing in the back waiting for him. And the bartender says, Hey, does the kid want something? And my dad says, no, he's got to get rest. I had to go to pit workouts. I had workouts that afternoon. And he says, no, nah, he's got to get some rest and then go to football. Well, it's like one flew over to cuckoo's nest. This went on all summer and like figure week, I don't know, week six, we walk into Yarsky's. My dad has a shot and a beer and the bartender. Now you think after week six, he would know what I do. He looks up and says, does a kid want something to drink? <laughs> and my dad again says, nope, he's got to go get some rest and go. I mean, this was like every day. Huh. And, uh, and I remember that and, uh, but it was, uh, oh yeah, it, it was an experience. And now betting is legal in the first day going to work in the mills. My dad says, you have any money on you? I says, not really. I had a sack lunch, you know, and he says, here, take this dollar. He says, someone's going to be coming around, play these numbers. You got to play the numbers, play this. Sure enough, at whatever point, here comes a guy walking around and, uh, you know, I know Tony Grosso or somebody and walks in and, and everybody plays the numbers for a dollar and he collects the money. And it was just a way of life. And uh, that was it. So, I mean, it was a, uh, it, it sure as heck made me want to play football and go to college, you know, I mean, because that's, uh, and, and it was funny because the, the, you know, when I started talking about me and Mike and, and Joe Namath and, and Marty, we were all, we could all relate to it and we could all talk the same stories. It was really phenomenal. What is it about the state of Pennsylvania that has developed so many coaches in the NFL? Do you realize as of today, there are nine head coaches who were either born there or played high school football there. That's today. There have been so many from Pennsylvania. I think though, even though the mills have, have really, really pretty much, not, I don't say shut down, but, but closed or whatever. I think that work ethic has never left. And, and you see that with the Pittsburgh Steelers football team to this day, they take pride in that. So I, I just think it's a mentality and, and it's just part of something that's in your blood back there. Through all of this, Dave, you raised a family and home is really here since your daughter's graduated from Lake Forest High School. So Chicago must have a very special place in your heart. Oh, it does. It does. I'm very comfortable up there. And the people were fantastic. You know, it's kind of funny. My, both my daughters were married downtown Chicago 
And when I left the Bears and I was at the Dolphins and I had not gone back to Chicago in between, basically at all. The kids were coming down to see me. I was in Miami. They were coming down here and they were in college. So it was spring break time down here in Florida, Miami. And my oldest daughter got married. And I think I was in my third, fourth year. So it would have been probably five years after I left the Bears. I hadn't been back. And my daughter got married at the Chicago Hilton. And I'll tell you what, and I really was not sure of the response or the people. And everyone from the guy that was pouring the water at the table to the general manager and the people on the street, they were unbelievable. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, maybe we didn't win enough football games. But one thing I know I did right, I treated all these people the way that, that they should have been treated. And it, it, it all came, it, it was really that thing of how you reap what you sow and everything came back to us. I mean, it was, uh, and, 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 and so that's what then eventually, then we got a place up there and, uh, you know, we're up there six months a year and I'm doing all these shows and it's my, I got six grandkids up there now. So it's, uh, it's been fantastic. I asked this final question to all of my guests. If not for football, what would you have been? Oh, I was going. I was going to the FBI. I already had passed half of the test. I was studying for the other part. I had already gone down for an interview, and I was. I was definitely going to go into the FBI if I would have not been a football coach. That was. Mm -hmm. It's real simple to me. I. I. I really because I. I got my master's degree from Pitt in criminal justice, and and I really got into that and, and really enjoyed that. So I started studying it and I interviewed with different police, you know, agencies, uh, Secret Service on, I was looking at everything and, and a friend, a pit grad, you know, was in the FBI and, and he got me in for an interview and, and that one thing led to another. So if I wouldn't have coached, I would have done that. Imagine the stories you wouldn't have been able to tell had you been with the FBI. Oh, I know. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's, been a it's been a blessing. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave Wanstead, for telling me a story. I don't know. My thanks to 670 The Score, Fox Sports, NBC Sports, and CBS Sports for those wonderful highlights. Thanks, as always, to TJ Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing, T.T. Shinkin for her artistic touch, and Ken Schreiner for always being there. And, of course, to our presenting sponsors, the Polina Market. Find them at polinamarket.com and the Vienna Beef Company in business since 1893. You can find them at viennabeef.com. Join me next time for another edition of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.